This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me on the other side is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, welcome back. The world of college football. I don't even know what to say. It has been flipped upside down in the last 48 hours, and we're going to get into it all tonight. But how are you doing, my friend? Well, I got to tell you, I mean, you alluded to it, uh, you know, before the show. I mean, things are just topsy-turvy over and under. Where guys, you know, where are teams positioned now? College football playoff in in full effect. Um Tons and tons of interesting matchups and games coming up in the near future over the next week or so. It's just, I mean, it's just really going to, I think it's going to be some great football, but certainly nothing that, you know, I necessarily predicted. I mean, we still have the usual suspects, right? Like Georgia and Alabama in there, but who saw Michigan coming? Who saw Cincinnati being in there at the end of the year? You know, Oklahoma State, really? I mean, like, you know, these are teams that, you know, historically, you don't you don't see. I mean, especially Jim Harbaugh. I mean, it, my goodness. I mean, he must be doing backflips and back handsprings. Like, you know, they're talking extension now. I hear because of the the you know the fine work that it took him almost ten years to do. How long has he been in Michigan? Right. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I I, I granted, I, he's a good coach. I'm not going to take anything away from him. But I, in the same respect, I mean, this is something we thought we would see a perennial favorite from Michigan every year. So, you know, I, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for the Michigan fans out there. But it's certainly not your quintessential top five. I'll tell you that. So, I, I'm 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 stoked. I'm just stoked. Yeah, and if I know we usually just focus on prospects and players and the evaluation process, but we'd be remiss. It's not just what happened on the football field this past weekend that was stunning with Michigan upsetting Ohio State, you know, and positioning themselves to be in the playoff. But I mean, we're not talking minor coaching news. We're talking arguably in the last 48 hours as whirlwind of a coaching news breaks than that I ever could remember. I was at a wedding the other night when news broke that Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma. And I thought if he ever left Oklahoma, it was for one place. It was the NFL. And you just didn't think that he would leave like he Basically, I thought he was there for the long haul unless he wanted to make the jump to the NFL. But the allure of Southern California is the only thing that I can think of because I don't think it's an I don't think it's an upgrade in program. It, it's been a long time since USC has been a powerhouse, you know, compared to what Oklahoma has been, you know, over the last, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine years. You know, we're, we're going back to the liner days, right, where USC was like an elite, elite program. So it's definitely not an upgrade in that, but it's a historic program, the allure of Southern California, and you know, good for USC to land that fish because we we had talked like there are some programs that we just weren't sure could get back to being elite elite without a major major hire, and USC pulls this out and steals away Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma. It was just a coup by them, and it's just going to be, you know, you're going to see USC now every year, top three, top four, top five in recruiting classes. And he, I have little doubt that they are going to turn into a perennial powerhouse with the likes of Alabama and 
Clemson up until this year and Georgia. And, and that's where I think now USC is going to be heading maybe within a year or two, let him get a couple of his recruiting classes in there. And if then that wasn't big enough news in the world of college football last night, LSU coming in and stealing Brian Kelly from Notre Dame, you know, and listen, I don't, it's weird. Prestige wise, Notre Dame is bigger than LSU, but in in terms of getting to where maybe Brian Kelly wants, which is win a national championship. I understand the move, right? His chances of winning a national championship increase in the SEC at LSU than they do in Notre Dame. But let's not lose focus of how good he's been at Notre Dame. Notre Dame was a very floundering program. They had a little bit of success with Charlie Weiss that quickly evaporated. And they've been very, they were very Jekyll and Hyde for a long time. And Brian Kelly has pretty much stabilized that that program and had them in the mix. They're still in the mix. If things break right this Saturday, they could get in the playoff and they don't even have a head coach right now. So major, major news with those two changes. But now we're talking Notre Dame and Oklahoma. So yeah, we thought it was going to be LSU and USC open. Those are now filled. But now we're talking still two of the most historic programs in college football, two of the best seven or eight jobs in college football, however you want to kind of, but I think most people would agree that Notre Dame and Oklahoma are at least in the top five to 10, somewhere in there in terms of best jobs in the country. They're now up for grabs. And it'll be interesting to kind of see the domino effect of who takes these jobs. And then it's going to open up other jobs unless they bring someone who's not in the college football right now, someone back from the NFL, they go the assistant route. There could be a lot of dominoes that still have to fall Any quick thoughts, Matt, on Lincoln Riley, USC, Brian Kelly, LSU, Oklahoma, and ND up for grabs now? Because, I mean, I I don't remember anything in the coaching landscape as dramatic and as crazy as what the last 48 hours have brought into the college football world. I would agree with you. And, you know, the first thing I thought of when I heard about Lincoln Riley going to USC was, you know, Oklahoma is scheduled and slated to join the SEC in the near future. So I'm wondering, and this is not because I think in any way, shape or form, this was a, you know, a tactical move or strategic move to, you know, kind of situate himself in a situation where he could compete, you know, at the highest level and be in the consideration year after year. But I I also think it's an interesting question that could be posed, right? Oklahoma is on, you know, the skillet to join the sec, arguably where, Everybody gets bloodied up as they kind of like, you know, find their way into prominence and maybe into the college football playoff, knowing very well that they have to go through Georgia and Alabama's in order to even get there, be into consideration. He leaves Oklahoma on the doorstep, on the precipice of this massive change and goes basically to the USC and goes to the Pac-12 where you could argue right now, a couple of recruiting classes. USC is the dominant team out of the Pac-12. Yes. Period. Period. Yep. And I think that with that being said, does that not immediately mean that he's already going to put a team potentially in the top eight of consideration in the college football playoff? Probably. So I, I don't, I, again, I don't want to speculate and even, I don't want to speculate that he did this for that reason. But I do think that the the move is curious given the timing of Oklahoma's change to the SEC. 
and giving the the lack of a dominant program in the Pac-12. And I just wonder um, if that's if that played any role in this discussion. You know, he saw an opportunity to almost create another Oklahoma. Yeah, you know, in, in a way. And, 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 I, and again, that's not to that's not to say that I don't think he can coach with the best of them or he can't compete in the SEC. But I do think that listen, at the end of the day, these guys, their jobs are going to be measured by their wins and their losses and their records and their rings and their championships. I mean, let's let's not be let's not be silly in thinking that it's anything less than that. So he goes to a situation where he can immediately within a year become a dominant program in his in that respective conference. That's gonna mean a lot in terms of sustaining the the legend that he's creating for himself as a coach. Yeah, and listen, it's the path of least resistance. I think that's what you're talking about very clearly. And let's not lose sight that Southern California is is arguably one of the greatest places probably in the world to live. It's flashy. It's USC. It's, you know, it's Hollywood. It's all that stuff. You know, he sees, you know, the profile of, of you know, the head coach, like, you know, you know, Sean McAvey, you know, for the, for the Rams and stuff. And like, you look at him and, and he kind of fits that profile a little bit. I think Lincoln Riley sees this as an opportunity to brand himself and become even way bigger than he might've ever been able to become at Oklahoma. And like you said, if he, if he struggled at all with the SEC move, that would have hurt his profile. This keeps him now in the spotlight as one of the preeminent college football coaches. And if he does ever want to make a move to the NFL, it'll now be available and open to him at any point. But he might look at this. He might look at this as this is now home. I'm going to make this. I'm going to be here 20, 30 years. You know what I mean? He could be looking at that. The king of Southern California. He could be looking at it as I'm going to, I'm going to do for USC what Nick Saban did when he went to Alabama, brought them back from mediocrity, which Alabama was stuck in, to make them this perennial contender. I think he sees a scenario where he can do that with USC. And if he just keeps dominating the Pac-12 like you're talking about, well, then he's going to be in the playoffs every single year and then, you know, see how the chips fall when he's got to go up against the SEC teams, you know, uh, you know, and, and those in, in that world. But it, his profile stays high. The money's probably outrageous. The living's better. He's it, USC, you know, is already a, a place that people want to go play. You envision high-level recruits going there. High-level quarterback recruits are going to be lining up to go to USC because they know the pedigree of the play calling, the offensive schemes that just in a few short years, Lincoln Riley, you know, has worked wonders at Oklahoma in developing Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and turning Jalen Hurts into a legitimate quarterback prospect, you know, and Caleb Williams was going to be the next one. Yeah. Spencer Rattler maybe was the only one that dipped the other way, you know, but, but, but his track record speaks for itself. So it's just fascinating. And and Brian Kelly's a big loss for Notre Dame because huge, you know, like I said, like he never got over the hump there, but I'm not sure that was Brian Kelly. I just think Notre Dame and their academic requirements always kind of puts them at a little bit of a disadvantage. And he's been able to 
keep them super relevant in the top five to 10 pretty regularly, multiple playoff appearances, you know, they're going to have to find someone to fill those big shoes. And it's going to be interesting to kind of see where they go with that. Uh, but there's a lot more dominoes uh, that are going to fall there. So we don't, we, we don't have to spend much more, any more time on, on the college, on the coaching landscape, but those are just so major and it, it does, it does and it will impact prospects. That's for sure. Right. Does Caleb Williams stay at Oklahoma? Like, did he go to Oklahoma to be coached by Lincoln Riley? We don't know. It's possible. He's a young player in, in college. He think of transferring or okay at Oklahoma. You know, like there's a lot, there's a lot of questions. We already know Spencer Rattler's gonna transfer. Now he probably doesn't want to go transfer to the coach that, you know, you know, pulled him, but there's gonna be a lot of moving parts now, and it will impact the draft cycle, not maybe this year, but down the line for sure, in terms of evaluating prospects, because things are just gonna shift around based on these major moves that took place over the last 48 hours. We got championship week ahead of us. I can't wait to some of these games. I mean, Alabama, Georgia, you know, could be a classic. We got Michigan trying to, you know, finish the season strong here and make the playoff after the upset of Ohio state. We got Cincinnati on the cusp of being the first team, not from one of the major conferences to make the playoff. They got to take care of business this week against Houston. Uh, You know, so it's a lot to, Watch this upcoming weekend. A lot of high-level prospects who are going to be early picks in the draft should have our attention this weekend. But let's turn it to the NFL draft report for this week. And a couple things right off the top that that I want to get into. You know, it seems clear from all the reports out there that Matt Corral has now kind of solidified himself, I think, as the year closes out here to be the QB one in this class this week, he didn't have a great game this week, but 25 of 33, 229 yards, touchdown interception. But from all the reports out there, it seems like he is now starting to separate himself as the guy that NFL teams are looking at as the the one guy who I think I feel pretty comfortable saying is going to be a top 10 pick. I think he's the only one that, that right now I feel confident saying that, you know, Malik Willis, obviously, you know, Liberty, smaller program. I mean, this week he struggled against Navy. Obviously, Navy always plays teams tough. But, you know, 24-46, you would like to see a little bit of a better game from Willis. Only scored one touchdown, you know, passing. You know, so so that was something a little bit discouraging. You would like to see him play a little bit better in that spot. And then a guy that you brought up a couple of weeks ago, Phil Jerkovic out of Boston College, really struggled this week against Wake Forest. Like three of 11, 19 yards, two interceptions. That game got away from Boston College pretty quickly, you know, but but that's the kind of game that's it's going to be hard. You know, I know Mel Kuyper was kind of, you know, in on, on Jerkovic. That's the kind of game that's going to stand out, though, that it's going to be hard to put that game and, you know, I know he only was three for 11, but 19 yards, two interceptions, the team losing 41 to 10. That's the kind of game that does resonate with scouts. So if he had any momentum building to maybe be a, a second round pick, you know, or an early third round pick, I think that kind of game really hurts his stock a little bit, you know, because teams maybe were circling that game against a good Wake Forest defense to kind of see how he performs you know, and, and then when, when when you come out and, and put that type of performance on tape, I think I think it's going to hurt this year. I really think there's so much uncertainty at the position 
that teams are going to rely on things they saw. Teams are going to rely on scouts and, and general managers are going to rely on what they saw late in the year. So a game like that, there's no way to say it doesn't hurt his, his, his draft pedigree and stock. You know, if he, you know, decided that he was, you know, going to put his name in the hat. Yeah. And, and you know what? I, I think when it comes to the quarterback position this year, I mean, there hasn't been any type of stability at all. So I think this is just yet another kind of testament to the the fact that there's a lot of uncertainty. And now we've we've we've, we've been on this, you know, Matt Corral, you know, is the guy, um, you know, for a while now. And I think he did nothing but solidify that. And I think that he's going to end up being that guy that's taken. And, you know, Phil Yurkovic, I, I still see the ability. I think that it was a terrible game for sure. Um, I just think it's, you know, you know, a, a real clarion call for him to now go back to college and and put on some better tape, you know, and, and if for nothing else to show the maturity, to show the growth, to show the, you know, the skill development. And, and I think he's going to do that. And I think that's great for Boston College because I do think that he's, He's still a quarterback prospect, and and it's really been a while since the Eagle fans in Boston had a player like that at the position. So it, it may end up being a blessing in disguise, so to speak. But Paul, I mean, as we kind of like you know look across the college landscape and transition to different positions, what else is catching your eye as you're looking at the prospects out there and how they performed this past weekend? Because like you said, there's a ton of huge games that we have circled for upcoming week. Yeah, and, and I think at the running back and, and the receiver position, things that stood out to me is, you know, we did a deep dive a couple of weeks ago on Kenneth Walker, and I think we were all in, in uh, basically united on the on the concept that we thought he was now RB2 in this class. And I think that is crystallized. Isaiah Spiller is struggling to even be the best runner on his own team. And it, that's been going on now for a while. You know, you watch their games, he, you know, He's not even the most explosive back at times in his own backfield, let alone in the country. So I think we're seeing Kenneth Walker put a stranglehold on the second spot. And I think now the conversation is, is it him or Brees Hall potentially for RB1 in this class? And I don't think Isaiah Spiller is in that mix right now. I think Isaiah Spiller has kind of fallen back a little bit to more of that next wave of guys, which we which has guys that we've been talking about a lot. Jerry Neely continues to push his arrow up, especially with his dual capabilities. This week, only 60 yards on the ground, but showing that versatility by having five catches, 43 yards and a touchdown. Kyron Williams out of Notre Dame, 74 yards and two touchdowns. I now think Isaiah Spiller is, is much more now in that second wave and that second tier somewhere on day two with the Jerry Ely, with the Kyron Williams, a guy that I know you, you know, back in the day you were a big fan of. We've been talking about him throughout this year, but Zach Charbonnet at UCLA just continues to, to show that, you know, while he had that, you know, lackluster, a uh, couple years at Michigan after he kind of exploded on the scene early in his collegiate career, he has really turned the corner this year. He's a guy on the rise. I think he could be a guy that either late round three, early day three, he could be on the rise up. So I think Charbonnet continues to do that. And then, I mean, while I don't think he's a guy that was on a lot of draft, you know, pedigrees, I mean, Hassan Haskins, we have to talk about 170 yards and five touchdowns against Ohio State. That's the kind of performance that opens eyes, right? We were saying the same about the quarterback position, but a performance like that 
in a year where there's not a lot of things just jumping off at the page at you at the running back or quarterback position, you know, it's really just the wide receivers in terms of the skill positions. That's a game that's going to, that's a game that's going to lift his draft stock up. It's going to get the, it, that's the kind of game that's going to get people looking at his film closer. I know it's going to have me going back to his film. And after I watch this week, the, the championship game, and then if Michigan wins it and they go into the playoffs, I know I'm going to really have my eyes fixated on watching Haskins out of Michigan because he's a guy that, you know, I, I'm not familiar with. I haven't done a deep dive. I haven't done a full theme film eval, you know, but you watch that game this past weekend and it's impossible not to come away with it impressed with that level of performance His running this past weekend. Uh, really impressive job by him. So I think he's a guy that needs to be on our radar and at the wide receiver position, you know, Gary Wilson just continues. I know they came, you know, they lost this week to Michigan, but 10 catches, 119 yards and a touchdown. Doesn't matter the impotent, just continues to do it. Same thing with John Mechie, 13 catches, 150 yards. You know, I think Wilson and Mechie, they're locked in in the top five, top six at the wide receiver position. I think Wilson should be number one. We'll see if it plays out like that. And Jahan Dotson, we've talked about him this year, eight catches, 137 yards and two touchdowns. Impressive performance by him. But the wide receivers have basically just been checking boxes all year. There's not, you know, it's almost been not a lot to talk about because it's just been status quo at the wide receiver position. The guys we thought were going to be great have pretty much been great all year. And, you know, I, I think they're on the trajectory to a whole bunch of guys in round one, a whole bunch on day two. But it's the it's the running back position, the quarterback that are really have been jumbled and shuffled a lot during this season. And, and I think, you know, we're in for some surprises, I think, in the pre-draft months uh, and then come draft weekend in terms of how things may unfold at the running back and quarterback position. I mean, the player that stands out in that entire discussion to me um, is is really still Kenneth Walker and, and really what he's done and how he's catapulted himself into that discussion as one of the top backs you know, in the country. In addition to that, though, I, I think to your point, I think this is a wide receiver position that is very deep this year and has an assortment of players for a variety of skill sets, for a variety of different needs. So I think you're going to see, you know, really good players going at the wide receiver position, you know, very late in drafts. And that's been kind of the theme over the last several years, as we've talked about kind of quite often, we've been saying, you know, I think a lot of teams are very interested in seeing what their, you know, top four receivers have, you know, they're not just stopping at the top two or the top three. I think teams are looking for deep and better. So, I mean, I think you're going to see a lot of receivers get a lot of early action. And I think there's going to be, you know, players that go late in drafts this year that yes, they will have a shorter leash the later they go because of draft capital. We all know it matters, but I do think that you're going to see players have opportunities because, you know, as you look across the NFL landscape and you look at the wide receiver position, we've had a lot of influx of youth, but it's been very, you know, top heavy too. You know, I mean, we really could. We There's really, I think, a lot of room for some of that youth to mature, but there's also some room for new talent to come in, I think, and still compete. So I, I, I'm, I'm excited. And I think at the running back position, for sure, you can start to see a changing of the guard in effect. And I know we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later, you know, as players become a little bit more concerning, Christian McCaffrey, um, as we as we kind of think about the future of that position. So th- there's so much. There is so much talent that's coming in this year. It's just not at the quarterback position. There's a lot of uncertainty there, but at, at, at all the skill players, 
I, I'm, I'm excited. I think there's a lot to be excited about here. And I'll leave it on this note. I do think that when you look at the running back position, I think there's going to be more depth here than we give it credit for. Because I think to Paul's point, I know you said this several times on uh, on the last several episodes, when you look at a player like Jerrion Ely, he'll find a home and he'll find usage. And that's a player that I don't I don't think he's going in the first two rounds. I don't think he's going in the first three rounds. But you could see him in round four. You might see him in late round four. You might see him in round five. And that's a guy who I think could catapult his way up the depth chart and be a very serviceable player, you know, right off the bat. Yeah, and I think, you know, your point on wide receivers is we're, we always need more influx of talent because just the wave of the NFL now is, right, three, four, five wide, right? So we always need more and more talent. And in this, I think we have the high end, and then we have a, a really good second and third tiers at the wide receiver position, which is going to be the strength on the offensive side of this. And I think your point about the running backs is spot on. I, I think it lacks it – lacks the star power in terms of the top of the draft. We're not going to see in rookie drafts uh, five running backs going around one of, of dynasty rookie drafts. We're just not going to see it. We're going to see two, maybe three, depending on landing spots. But what we are going to see, and and even Bree Tall, you know, and, and Kent Walker, I think those guys are are going to be good NFL players. And if they're in the right situation, maybe they could be RB1s. But I think what you're going to see is a lot of guys who have a shot to work their way into committees, work their way into roles, and then, yes, eventually be fantasy viable. But I think it's going to be a little bit more of a grind and a slower process. Look look how many years it took Chase Emmons to become fantasy viable, right? Maybe that's the path of of a Jerrion Ely, right? You know, there's going to be guys that get drafted and either have to wait their turn, are in a crowded depth chart, you know, are are third to start with, and then are going to work their way to second. And then maybe, you know, depending on how many reps they get, split that job. So I I think it's going to be a little bit of a slower process with the running backs. I think the wide receivers are going to see a lot of impact quicker, but I do think the depth might be stronger than I'm giving it credit for, but we don't have those guys who are going to say, oh, they're immediately going to be the, the foundation of that backfield. I think at this point, Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker are really the only opportunities. And Kenneth Walker right now is a very limited player, even though he can carry a heavy workload. He's not going to be a guy who's on the field very much on, on third downs, on obvious passing downs, because that's just not a part of his repertoire right now that he can do that. So even that holds him back a little bit when we're talking about the running back position. So and that and I don't I don't I don't want to belabor this point, but I think that the the roller coaster ride that has been for many people, and I, and and again, these players have had some outstanding seasons in the NFL. But I think that it's even more so, Paul. I think it's even more so of a concern about that high end player at the running back position when you see how the careers are unfolding for Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley, and you know, listen, dynamic, elite. Skillful players, without a doubt. Yeah, but, for sure. But but availability is your best ability. And yeah. these guys have really struggled to be available. And even with them on their teams, they've definitely you know pushed the win and loss column, but it hasn't really manifested itself into playoffs or Super Bowls. You know, so I mean, I, I think it's you know even more of a reason to consider the fact that you know. Again, that that kind of positionless player at the skills position is becoming is going to become, I think, even more in vogue as time goes on. 
it's going to continue to grow. Yeah. And listen, I think that the trajectory and the track record of, of guy of running backs going early is only going to be hurt by what we've been seeing lately in, in the NFL. Right. And I think the next real test sample is going to be, how does the NFL evaluate B. John Robinson? Right. Because he has the talent that is otherworldly. Right. And we'll, I guess we'll Mm -hmm. just use this to go to the Debbie slant where we talk about some underclassmen. He has that talent that's otherworldly. He has that talent that is arguably best player in the draft when he's available, right? Mm-hmm. So, but look what's going on with Christian McCaffrey. Look what's going on with Saquon Barkley. Ezekiel Elliott is not is no longer a dynamic player. Guys can't stay healthy. The running back is a brutal position. How do you appropriately value these guys with draft capital? when you can't really know how long they're going to be an impact player at the next level. And you're going to have to deal with injuries and and stuff like that more so than other positions. It's just the nature of the beast at the running back position. So it's going to make evaluations of running backs even harder when you know you can just get somebody in day two or day three, use them for a couple years, and then say, okay, we didn't pay you much money. You didn't take up much of the salary cap. And maybe we just find somebody else down the line. It's a very hard line that NFL teams have to, to, to try to straddle. And it's very hard when you draft an impact player like a Christian McCaffrey or theoretically what Saquon Barkley was his rookie year and bits and pieces since then to make the determination of do we give these guys second contracts? Because it doesn't work out very well. You know, we're seeing that across the board, the Rams and Todd Gurley. Right now, the Panthers probably have some buyer's remorse. So it's going to be really interesting with B. John Robinson when his time comes. And for all running backs. Because a guy I wanted to bring up was it wasn't that long ago B. John Robinson was 1A and Tank Bigsby was 1B. Tank Bigsby hasn't been this otherworldly impact player this year for Auburn. He just has it. I think that's why most Debbie rankings now have Travion Henderson ahead of Tank Bigsby, you know, in terms of just skill and, and talent. So we've seen Tank Bigsby come back to the, to the pack a little bit uh, this year. And I think his evaluation is going to suffer a little bit with the, just the climate of the NFL when it comes. I think he's still going to be one of the better backs in college football next year. And he's still going to be on most people's preseason top fives and stuff like that. But, but I think we're seeing, we're seeing it even more now that teams are maybe going to evaluate differently the running back position. And then I think in hindsight, we are going to have to change our thought process a little bit, even in the Debbie world, because of just how, limited and short a sample size and how touch and go running backs are even for really high level guys. So I think that's something that's going to be really interesting. Uh, A couple other things and I'll turn it over to you and you can kind of take wherever you want. Really excited to see Bryce Young this week against Georgia, right? Because we've seen him put up video game stats throughout this year with his cast of wide receivers, you know, but this week's going to be a big test for Young, how he performs against that Georgia defense. So I am really fascinated to see. I mean, we saw C.J. Stroud go up against a good Michigan team this week. Yeah, the Ohio State lost, but Stroud held his own 394 yards, two touchdowns. He got the ball out to his playmakers. It wasn't enough for Ohio State to get the victory. You know, but we saw him kind of in a big spot 
not wilter under the pressure, even though they lost the game. Like, you know, he didn't sit there and throw for four interceptions and, you know, 200 yards, you know, he held his own. Can Bryce Young do that as well? And if so, I think we're start to see them two and Caleb Williams kind of be the face of the underclassmen quarterback kind of going into the offseason here of college football. Any thoughts on, on Bigsby? Maybe not living up to the hype this year or Shroud, Bryce Young, Caleb Williams in terms of being the faces of, of the underclassmen quarterback. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. Okay, so starting with Bigsby, I was I am a very big tanks tank Bigsby fan and I and I think he's a tremendous runner but when it comes to what he did this year you can't ignore it I mean like we always say you know the you know a prospect and their capabilities and what their skill level is is a constant moving target right I mean as they grow change you know physically um it's going to really change how they see the field. It's going to can, it's going to change how they solve problems. It's going to change how they do things. So what he did in college, in high school, you know, is changing and growing, you know, in college. So I mean, I'm still, I still believe in Tank Bigsby. I still believe that there's another level of self organization or emergence that can occur at the skill level. I, I think next year, you know, I'm I'm looking for him to kind of put it all together again. You know, I don't know what goes on outside of what we see on TV. Um, but, you know, if there's any merit to him, you know, improving his physical capacities, his ability, you know, his strength and physical capacities overall, it's going to change the way he he does things. And and Auburn exactly, you know, hasn't exactly been, you know, a freight train this year. So, I mean, you know, I, I'm going to still I'm going to still kind of hold on Tank Bigsby. I, I, I've seen too much of him doing incredible things for me to completely ignore this season, but write them off as a result of it. I think it's a interesting thing. Huge point. Let's see what happens next year. I would say though, that I agree with you about the, you know, the, the quarterbacks, I think it's Caleb Williams and it's obviously going to be um, Bryce young. I, I think those are the guys. Um, I do think CJ Stroud is going to make an argument for sure. Um, I think uh, an interesting kind of uh player who's, been all over the map, but I, I really liked him coming out of high school in terms of some of the things that I saw from him was Texas A&M's Zal Calzada. Um, Calzada is very interesting. Um, he's all over the map, a little bit of an undisciplined kind of approach to the game as at the position, but I did see a lot of, a lot of that creativity at the position that we want to see that ability to kind of find those pockets of space to deliver the football. So he's an interesting player to keep your eyes on. Um, he's a sophomore, so he'll be a junior next year. Um, but in terms of other players, I mean, listen, it's Jackson Smith and Najiba. There's your there's your wide receiver, you know, kind of heralding the next wave of wide receivers, you know, that are coming out. He's a very interesting one, obviously. Um, also, I, I would just caution people. There's another. There's a couple of players that I really like that I was always keeping my eyes on. First of all, let's start at the running back position. I, I think you have to anoint um, outside of Travion Henderson. I do think you have to go and grab Will Shipley. I think it's time to go grab Will Shipley out of Clemson. Um, he's done everything you can ask for him. He's coming right out of the gates, and he's already putting up you know, 100-yard games. And I, I think the sky's the limit for this kid, and I think he's got that versatile factor that we all want in a running back and do a little bit of everything. The other one that I think is interesting is I think you make a move on whoever owns Jameer Gibbs. Right now, Jameer Gibbs, who was out of Georgia Tech, 
he entered the transfer portal after having a, a huge season last year. I mean, massive, massive. It was basically Tank Bigsby, Bijan Robinson, and Jameer Gibbs. Well, Jameer Gibbs is now going to enter the transfer portal, and it seems to be very likely that Michigan State is going to make a big run at him. So imagine Michigan State takes Kenneth Walker and replaces him with Jameer Gibbs, who I'm going to tell you right now, Jameer Gibbs is better than Kenneth Walker. Okay, at the same age, same ability level, like at the same point in time, Jameer Gibbs is a dynamo. He is going to be a stud if they can grab him. Keep that line intact. Keep that running scheme going. Michigan State can bring in Jameer Gibbs. They're dangerous with that. So Jameer Gibbs is a guy, if you got somebody in your league who's a little bit sour on the move, like, oh, it's, you know, these prima donnas or whatever the case may be, maybe you can capitalize on this uncertainty and maybe go grab him because I think he's an NFL running back every day. And the, the last player I'll leave you with is I've been waiting for him. He was injured last year in his freshman year. Um, but I, I really like him and he is going to get Lincoln Riley. <laughs> yep. I'm talking about Gary Bryant Jr. Gary Bryant Jr. is slowly but surely rounding back into form. And I thought he was one of the better wide receivers out of his class. And that's Jackson Smith and Jeebus class. So, I mean, we're not talking about a bunch of schmoes there. We're talking about some guys that could play ball. And I thought when it came to him in the open field, my goodness, he could play. So I'm going to still kind of pound the table and burn the candle for Gary Bryant Jr. I think at a USC, him getting a new coaching change, a new offense, an offense that we know is predicated on getting the ball short and running long, you could see Gary Bryant Jr. really emerge fast. So he's a player that I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going out there and I'm looking in Debbie drafts to see if I can't gra- grab him late. You know, if I can stash him somewhere, he's a guy that I'm really interested in. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I love some of the names. I love the Shipley call because I, I really do think he's going to be a guy that next year I kind of feel like Clemson's going to figure things out and we're going to see Clemson back to being, you know, a much better program next year. And I think Shipley is a guy that because Clemson has went on this downward spiral this year. I think he's kind of been out of sight, out of mind a little bit. And I think if Clemson turns this around, I think Shipley is a guy who's going to benefit. And all of a sudden you're going to start seeing, you know, a lot more attention go his way. So of the guys you mentioned there, he, he's the one that piques my interest, uh, you know, the most. So let's turn to see the NFL rookie report for, uh, for week 12 of the NFL season. Mac Jones continues to just be the most steady of the quarterbacks. You know, it's not like he's playing with the best weapons, but he is playing maybe in the, with the best structure and foundation. You know, 23 of 32, 310 yards, two touchdowns. Continue to just ask him to do what he is in his comfort zone. And I think that's something that we talk about. Like, don't ask guys to do what they're not comfortable with. Put them in a position to be successful. And you could slowly see they're adding a little bit more on here or there. They're still not unleashing. And I don't think that's I don't think that's who they, they are going to do. I think they understand Mac Jones's limitations, and they're putting him in a position to, to be successful. And if they can get some playmakers around him, you know, you know, again, I always thought his upside was like a Kirk Cousins, but I thought, you know, he's somewhere in that Andy Dalton, the Kirk Cousins range. If he could be Kirk Cousins plus, 
And and what he's shown me this year is that I think I undersold him thinking he was maybe going to be more on the Andy Dalton level, but I think he can be Kirk Cousins, maybe Kirk Cousins plus, uh, and be a really good middle of the pack quarterback with upside. If you know, especially you know, if we could see him continue to develop and they put playmakers around him, so he continues to do it. Zach Wilson came back from missing some time, uh, struggled this week again. You know, he's he's right now just. Between battling injuries, battling inconsistency, you know, Wilson has really had a tough rookie year. Some of it's the offensive line, you know, obviously needs a lot of upgrades as well. Uh, You know, the Jets came away with a victory this week, but, you know, Wilson is a guy who I think Jets fans were hoping to see a little bit more this year. And and I think, I don't know if they're going to see that. They're going to go into this offseason definitely a little blind in terms of, you know, is this guy going to be our franchise quarterback? Obviously, they're going to give him much more time, and they're going to they're going to have two picks in the top ten, and and they're probably going to use it to build up the offensive line or, or get another premier playmaker. Uh, you know, so they're going to give him every opportunity. So he, you know, he's a guy that you know will continue to monitor at the running back position. Stock continues to be way down on Kenneth Gainwell, uh, Boston Scott, Jordan Howard. I mean, besides being utilized a little bit in the past game, he's not even a part of the offense right now, which is really weird because we saw him taking great strides early in the year. And then I don't know, he just seems to have lost the trust of the coaching staff. And this is what we talk about all the time. This is why draft capital matters. Because if Kent Gainwell was a second-round pick, he'd be on the field a lot more than we're seeing him. But he's a, he was a day-free, round-five pick. Not a lot of draft stock there. Not a lot of investment. If it pans out, great. Found the diamond in the rough. But if it doesn't, they're not going to worry about playing you know, a guy like Boston Scott or a veteran pickup during the season like Jordan Howard over him. They're just not. That's why draft stock matters. The amount of leeway that you get to make mistakes and keep playing is much longer. So I think that's something. Javante Williams, 54 yards and a rushing touchdown this week. I think the big decision, the big thing about Javante Williams is how high could his stock be next year? I, you know, I saw something on Twitter yesterday that I strongly disagree with that said he could be, you know, a late round one pick in, in redrafts next year. I just don't see that. He was a, he was a committee back in college. He's been in a committee this year. Even if Melvin Gordon's gone, I think they'll get somebody in there to kind of work with him. I think he could be a Chris Carson plus player. I think he could be a rock solid mid to high RB two with some spiked RB one weeks. I don't see right now Javante Williams anytime soon being a first round pick in fantasy football. I mean, maybe if they get Aaron Rodgers and, and the whole Denver team is just on a different level, Okay, but that's the only scenario that I see at the receiver position. Devonta Smith's frustrated at his role and the usage he's getting. Jalen Waddle, big week this week. But going off of what Jeff and I talked about last week, everything Waddle's doing right now is short. And I don't know if I don't think it's him. I just think it's they're so conservative. I think they have great concerns about Tua and how much they can put on his plate, what they could ask him to do, because it's this bizarre to see Jalen Waddell has basically became a throw the ball around the line of scrimmage between like zero and, and nine yards. And, you know, he broke one, you know, a, a quick slant this past weekend and, and took it to the distance. So it made his numbers look really gaudy, but everything they're not taking any shots and that's just baffling compared to what Jalen Waddle was in Alabama what he's supposed to be uh so yeah he produced for fantasy this week but it's interesting to see him not 
being utilized like we expected. And then the tight end position, you know, Kyle Pitts, you know, generational tight end prospect. I get it. But we're seeing this year just how hard it is to be a rookie tight end and and make an impact, a high level impact. And I think we're seeing that Kyle Pitts has had some really great spiked weeks. But man, just like most tight ends, the, the amount of inconsistency that we see this year has been great uh from him and that's the same thing even with calvin ridley not there we thought there was maybe going to be more opportunity more consistency it just hasn't hasn't panned out that way so matt any any thoughts on mac jones zach wilson javante williams can't gain well the receivers yeah i mean i'll go first actually i'll go to the tight end position because i think that you i'll start where you ended um I think it's not only a testament to just how difficult of a position it is transferring from college to the NFL, but I also think that a byproduct of the offensive explosion that is now the NFL in terms of multi-wide receiver sets, I think it's beginning to test not the validity of, but the quality of or maybe the type of player that is getting anointed the generational tight end. And here's what I mean. If you look at the way you're going to use Kyle Pitts, if you're going to use Kyle Pitts as primarily a receiver, yet physically he's definitely, you know, outmatches almost any corner, right? And he's going to be a full load for any safety. But I do think that if you look at what you have to pay for Kyle Pitts and then you ask yourself, okay, is he a dominant run blocker? You know, can he block in the running game? And Kyle Pitts is, is a solid blocker. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to point him out as being something less than a, a great player, but I do think that teams are starting to speculate almost like, like at the running back position with why not carry five receivers and let me go ahead and get a good blocking tight end. Like, in other words, if I'm going to get a, a tight end and put him on the field, I know a tight end is, could be a seam stretcher. I'm, I'm, I'm not, of course they can do that. But if you can get a quality tight end, that can block well, there's no reason actually, to be honest with you, where you might be able to find a receiver later in the draft. You might be able to find a quality guy who can you can empty and go you know, three, three wide, four wide, and you might be just as dangerous in an up-tempo offense. So, I mean, I just wonder if this offensive explosion, and I wonder if the proliferation of four and five wide sets and you know, all these different types of wide receiver sets. I wonder if it's mitigating the advantage of having anything less than an elite dual threat tight end. I wonder if those tweeners, like those guys that are almost quite, you know, they're being like, you know, they're kind of almost a, you know, a, a great kind of all around tight end, but they're not quite, they're more of a blocker, more of a receiver. I wonder if, the proliferation of offense across the league is starting to mitigate the experimentation with that position. And you might see teams falling back more to just getting a good old fashioned wide receiver and just getting a good old fashioned, you know, tight end that can block or a tight end that can receive and can be just, you know, not a zero column as a blocker. Maybe that trend, maybe that trend is starting to take shape. Just curious, throwing it out there could be way off, but it's just a thought. And the last thing I'll say is uh, about this particular class, and especially the quarterbacks, um, I think Zach Wilson could be a very functional quarterback in the NFL. But, I mean, we talk about it all the time. It matters where you end up. And that's not, you know, that's not to say that he can't bounce out of it. 
but it's tough playing for any New York team right now. <laughs> I don't care who you, I don't care what New York team you're talking about. It's tough playing right now as a quarterback in New York. And I, I just hope Zach Wilson gets the the fair shake to kind of come out of it a little bit. Yeah. And I want to, I want to piggyback on one thing you said about Kyle Pitts that I found really interesting is we talk so much in the evaluation process that he's a mismatch guy. He's going to wreak havoc on linebackers and slow footed safeties. But here's the thing. When you only are a receiver classified as a tight end, you're not getting matched up anymore with linebackers and safeties anymore. Most teams now, they're putting cornerbacks. Yeah. They have the nickel. They're putting nickelbacks. They're putting these all world versatile safeties that are not like the old school in the box safeties that can cover. So, the the idea that oh he's going to be uncoverable because nobody could stay with him that's just not that's just not the NFL anymore right the NFL is filled with elite level athletes on the defensive side of the football at all spots right safeties these hybrid linebacker safeties these really fast linebackers that that are basically safety types, safety bodies that are playing linebacker at 225. That was never a thing back in the day. Or they're putting bigger cornerbacks on these guys. So, you know, this idea that these pass-catching tight ends, yeah, if they get up in right situations, against a linebacker or a, a more of a slow footed safety, or if they have a five you know, inch height advantage over a small nickelback or cornerback, sure, it's a mismatch. But teams are so smart in the NFL now. Everybody knows Kyle Pitts is a great player. Everyone knows he's basically a wide receiver with a tight end designation. Yeah. It's why it, you have to have a really creative scheme to take advantage of a player like this if the op- opposition and the, the defense is scheming the opposite way, right? There's scheming going on on both sides. And yeah. defensive coordinators are not going to let this pass-catching tight end just wreak havoc by just putting him on a slow-footed safety. What makes guys like Travis Kelsey and George Kittle so dangerous is they're lining up on the line of scrimmage. You can't, you know what I mean? Like, you it's a lot harder when it's a guy who can legitimately block and block well or serviceable, right? George Kittle is an elite level blocker. You know, Travis Kelsey is a functional blocker, right? Yes. Darren Waller. We always said Kyle Pitts was much more in the, in the Darren Waller mode, but even Las Vegas has times struggles to get him the ball sometimes because he's the center of attention. So that's what Kyle Pitts is facing right now, especially without the, without Calvin Ridley there drawing attention towards him. So that's where I think we're seeing, and listen, I still think he's going to be a great player, but I, I think we envisioned the scenario where the offense was going to, we thought the offense as a whole was going to be better. We thought it was going to funnel through Calvin Ridley and he was going to draw a lot of attention and was going to open things up for, you know, Kyle Pitts and just hasn't materialized as much this year. Defenses are honing in on him. And I think that's where we got to be really careful about these pass catching tight ends. Yeah, they're fun to, to, to watch. They're fun to study. But it's they're not always going to be lined up in these really advantageous positions to them because defenses are scheming too. And yes, I think Pitts is going to be great. I'd buy him anywhere I could if somebody's nervous about him. But at the same time, we understand how hard the tight end position is, right? We know. 
We know. Yeah. And, and, and I think that the, the point that you brought up there that I would just highlight is no position on the football field exists in isolation. Nothing is happening in a vacuum. You can't just say, no matter who's around, this player will dominate. Yes, I know many people point out and say, well, Tom Brady. Yes, I mean, but Tom Brady, even Tom Brady, there are certain critical factors that he points to, the things that he needs in order to be a functional quarterback. So, I mean, I I think that no position exists in isolation. And that's where we look at Kyle Pitts and we say, to your point, without Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts is on an island and they're focusing on him and he doesn't have the experience to combat many of the things that he's seeing right now. And that's not to say he won't be great. But what I'm saying is, is that a truly, I I think the tight end position is going to become even more and more as we kind of go into this offensive explosion. I think the tight end position is going to be really begin to say that the players that are drafted early are guys that they think can be a two way kind of dominant player, like a Kittle, like a Kelsey, a guy who can offer that tactical, at least advantage or that tactical indecisiveness on the defensive end where you don't know, like, okay, Kyle Pitts on third and eight is in line. Sure. Yeah. He's blocking. He's going to chip and release at the, at the, at the very worst. I mean, so let's not play like we don't know what's going to happen with Kyle Pitts. Right. I, I do think though, that when you have a Kittle and you do have a Kelsey on third and eight, yeah, they're probably be releasing, but they're also guys that can also lay the wood and really get your running back sprung for a big gain. So, I mean, there is those moments where I think as we progress through this offensive explosion, I think the tight end position is going to become more and more streamlined, especially in the fantasy community. There's going to be a smaller and smaller group of players that are going to warrant your thoughtful consideration at the top of your draft. And we're seeing it already, to be honest with you. Yeah, for sure. And again, the tight end position is just hard, right? It's just hard. We see TJ Hawkinson up and down this year, inconsistency, right? We've seen, we see even the best guys have these inconsistent up and down weeks. We see George Kittle struggle a lot of weeks. We see Darren Waller. We see, we see Travis Kelsey. I mean, the reason why Travis Kelsey is so highly regarded is he just doesn't have too many of those weeks, right? They're usually very few and far between where most of the position has inconsistencies the entire season. And that's what usually makes him such a rare player, Travis Kelsey. And I think maybe the time will eventually come that Kyle Pitts will get there. I just think we may, and myself included, may have overvalued how quickly he was going to get to that point. So let's spin this over to to wrap out tonight uh, with a real quick uh, dynasty fantasy report. I want to kind of take a pick, take a, a broad view of a couple quarterback things and running back things. At the quarterback things, a couple things that stood out for me. This is the week. This past week is the reason why I've been very hesitant on buying into Jalen Hurts because I think the Eagles have been very hesitant to buy in on Jalen Hurts, right? All we've heard about is how much they're interested in Deshaun Watson. They're going to have three early first-round picks this year, three picks in the top 15. You know, do they go for a quarterback in the draft? Do they try to package them together for Deshaun Watson? Do they make a run at another quarterback in a trade? how poor he played against the Giants in terms of his passing skills, reading defenses, reading coverages, I think leaves the door open to be a little concerned that I'm okay at a position as easy, especially if you're in one quarterback, at a position as easy as quarterback to replace in fantasy, I'd be okay selling high on Jalen Hurts and taking my chances that he ends up not being the long-term guy there 
if I can get back a good investment on that, because I, I just, I would. Uh, Justin Herbert started out unbelievable, right? There was talk that he's morphing into a top five, top seven quarterback in the league. But since then, he has really struggled with some inconsistency that you watch him play. And, you know, friend of the show, you know, Christopher Harris, he was like, you know, recently at times watching Justin Herbert, it's been very Daniel Jones-like in terms of you see something of, of really impressiveness, but then you see a whole bunch of really terrible mistakes in terms of decision-making and reading defenses and reading coverages and what is he doing with that pass. And I did, listen, he's still a young player, so maybe this is just a natural evolution process, but I do think that he was close to being crowned like a finished top level quarterback prospect. I think there's still a little bit out there that I think defenses are starting to see what kind of puts him in, into some tough situations and they're really capitalizing on it. And then I mentioned it before you watch Miami play and I know they've won some games lately and you know, this week they're going to go up against the giants and giants are going to be playing a backup quarterback. So Miami might keep this winning going, but the amount of coddling that they're doing to Tua is just so baffling when we saw Tua in Alabama just let it rip, right? And part of that was he was surrounded by an elite level of receivers and, and offensive linemen, and I get it, but, like, he was never this, like so – he was. I never envisioned a scenario where he was going to have to be a quarterback that you babied and coddled because you you didn't want to put too much on his plate. And everything Miami's done for the last year and a half from the on again, off again benching last year with Ryan Fitzpatrick to the the conservative nature of their play calling this year, whether it's all because of the offensive line, which I find hard to believe, they've really coddled him in, in what they've asked him to do. Uh, and I, I think that is, is a little concerning in terms of long-term value. And then Matthew Stafford, who started out red hot in the new in with the you know since he got out of Detroit and went to the Rams has really struggled of late that the Rams offense looks all out of whack that maybe you know the initial surge of going to the Rams maybe we were led to believe it was going to be a real radical difference in Matthew Stafford but he's kind of started to morph back into that inconsistent player a lot of natural talent but never, you know, lived up to it as much as, you know, what was expected of him being the first pick in the draft in Detroit. There's, so there's been a lot of inconsistencies there. So all four of the guys I talked about, I kind of think you can make the case that their value is either teetering on stock down, stock neutral. You know, Justin Herbert is the one of all of them I'd be least concerned about and still would want on all my teams. But but I but I do think there's some concern for for all of them, Matt. So any thoughts on the quarterbacks before we close out with some running back talk? No, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. To be honest with you, I think Justin Herbert is the guy that I'm still going and acquiring anywhere I can, and I feel pretty confident about his obviously his long term prospects. I do think to your point, I think Tua is it's scary because I just don't understand what's going on in Miami and what their perception of him is. It seems like to your point coddling and I'm a big fan of Tua I, I think Tua can play the position at a high level I think he is an NFL quarterback I know he's had some you know more than just blips on the radar but I do think that he can play this position at a high level I think he showed that at Alabama and I do think that he's capable of playing it I just I just can't understand what's going on and this is where you don't know this is where we don't know what's going on behind closed doors no we don't and and I think that's something that Listen, 
two of these teams are gonna two of these teams are gonna tell us a lot of what they think of these guys, right? Because if the Eagles go all in and trade three first round picks for Deshaun Watson or Miami does that, well, I think we kind of get our answer that they don't believe in these guys, right? Because if you believed in these guys, you'd be able to keep all these first round picks and build around them. So if they go all in and trade three, four first round picks for Deshaun Watson, if his legal stuff is, is settled, I think it tells us what we maybe, or at least me, kind of believe is that they're not sold on Jalen Hurts. Miami's not sold on Tua. It's not just about, oh, an opportunity to upgrade. In the NFL, if you believed in your quarterback and you could keep all these first-round picks, you would do it. It's just the nature of the beast with how much first-round picks are valued at the NFL level. Uh, so I think I think we're going to see a lot in the offseason. The offseason actions of these two franchises is going to tell us a lot in terms of what they think about these guys uh, in terms of long-term outlook. And if we finish out the night with a couple of running back stuff to talk about, I will say this, and I've been saying this for most of this year, go get Tony Pollard on any d- dynasty team you can get him on. Because I think there is a great chance within the next year at the absolute worst two. But I think even sooner than that, I think he is on the trajectory to be the next Austin Eckler. And I want in on that now. I think you watch Dallas play. I don't think any neutral bystander, any evaluator can watch a Dallas Cowboys game and walk away with anything but saying to themselves, Tony Pollard is a better and more talented football player than Ezekiel Elliott, and I don't think it's necessarily close. Now, Jerry Jones is not going to pull the plug on Ezekiel Elliott. It's just not going to happen. So I get having to value Ezekiel Elliott more this year, right now, in fantasy football. I'm not sure it's going to be the same thing in Dallas next year. Dallas comes up short and and Ezekiel Elliott is ho-hum and Tony Pollard just keeps making plays. I don't know. But I think the time is going to come sooner rather than later that Tony Pollard is going to be a star in this league. And I think he's going to be a late breakout at the running back position after he kind of waited it out. And I think he could be the next Austin Eckler. I think he's never going to be a guy that maybe should get 20 touches, but I think he's a guy that you give him, he should be getting 15 to 17 touches in an NFL game, and he'd be explosive. Passing, rushing, he should be utilized very similar to Austin Eckler, Alvin Kamara, and he could be an impact high-level player. I want him on my fantasy teams now. Second, and I think it makes it very hard to rank in Dynasty because – you're really going out on a limb if you want to put him ahead of Ezekiel Elliott. But I may just do that in my next dynasty update because I do believe it's just a matter of when, not if Tony Pollard has more value than Ezekiel Elliott. Christian McCaffrey, another season loss done for the year, put on IR again. I don't know how we evaluate him. Is he done? Is his body just unable to handle the rigors. We know if he's healthy, he's still unbelievable. We know he can impact the game like no other running back in football in terms of his pass catching ability, his rushing ability. But is his body, it was always a concern. They had no, they didn't limit him at all over the last handful of years. Is it just caught up to him really fast? I I don't know. I don't know how to evaluate Christian McCaffrey because if you, if you act like the injuries aren't real, then I think you're being naive. 
if we overvalue the injuries, then we're maybe missing out on arguably the best running back in football. So I'm wrestling with it myself. Once I do an update, I'll kind of tell you where I, I put Christian McCaffrey. But I know you're someone who owns Christian McCaffrey in the league. I, you know, I think it's an interesting point on how you would evaluate him going into this offseason. And I think the same thing can be said about Saquon Barkley. We keep waiting. I gave up a lot for Saquon Barkley in one of my dynasty leagues this past year. A lot. Headlined by Chris Godwin, first round pick, second round pick. Other, other things were in play. Because I kept thinking he was going to get to back to that elite level. Are we just, is it fool's gold at this point? How many years have to pass of Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley either not being able to make it through a season healthy or not being an impact player in Saquon Barkley's situation before we start to say, we can't have these guys at the top of the dynasty rankings anymore for the running back position. We, we, we just can't. We have to go to a different, we have to go somewhere else. I, th- I think it's very hard to rank McCaffrey and re- rank Saquon Barkley right now in dynasty rankings. Yeah, I, I as a, as an owner of Christian McCaffrey, and and I have him on more than a couple of teams. I, I I tried to move him last year, so I tried to move him not at this past off season, but the off season before that, and I was trying to capitalize on everything that he had done. Was that because I didn't think he could sustain it? Mm, I thought he could sustain a very high level of play, but I was concerned that the high level of play that he was currently just you know showing was so otherworldly that this was the time to kind of cash in potentially. I think right now you have to say to yourself, Christian McCaffrey is not the number one fantasy running back. I think you just have to admit it. You have to look at Jonathan Taylor. You have to look outside of Christian McCaffrey now in in redraft. And I think you got to say he's not. Now, when he's on the field healthy, will he be most weeks? Probably. But I think it's that uncertainty that is the reason that he's going to, you know, see some, you know, some toddling down that list. And I think that it's unfortunate. Do I think that the workload is caught up with him? I don't know. You know, Paul, it's it's really hard. I mean, these guys take care of their bodies in such phenomenal ways. You know, I mean, so it's so hard for me to say that, you know, the wear and tear of the position, is it, you know, a lack of upkeep on his end? These guys are elite athletes because if you saw them in a normal crowd, they would stick out from a thousand feet away, just given their size, their overall athletic build. They, they If they ran in a straight line, you know who they are. Right. I mean, they, they would just stand out. They're just so elite. Right. I think what happens is, is I think the higher the level of the athlete, the more other circumstances and factors come into play. You know, for example, Panthers aren't in it anymore. Was that part of the reason? Are they just saying, you know what, shelf him? And is he like, you know what? Okay. I mean, I know we don't want to hear that as fans because it's blasphemy. Right. I mean, but these guys are these guys are playing for a career, right? I mean, he's got a contract, he's got money in the bank, right? And and all the guys that are that are shelving him, I mean, they, they don't want to lose either. That's going to make them look bad. But I wonder sometimes if there's more at play than just the physical ailments of the position or the physical elements that go into playing the position. You know, it's it's that whole idea of we believe everything matters. 
if I truly believe that, I wonder if there are other elements at play in terms of where the Panthers are in the standings, what they have to look forward to, where they are at the quarterback position, what they're trying to do moving forward. Could that be the reason he was shelved? I'll never get for Christian McCaffrey what I want for him right now, so I'm going to have to hold. And that's that's the reality of that situation. I'm holding if I'm a Christian McCaffrey owner in Dynasty. You're not going to get anything you want for it. I can tell you that right now. So you hold. Yeah, and I think that's the I think that's the right play. It's the only play right now, right? And if, if he gets a stretch next year where he's red hot, maybe you can see if somebody's desperate to to pay more fair market value for him, and then and then you get out. But it, it, I also do think. Listen, I, it's not that I think Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley aren't doing their part to to stay healthy, and I know that's what you were alluding to, right? These guys do everything in their ability to to be these all-world athletes it's just at some point when when the injuries start to mount it's sometimes hard to stop that momentum right and i do wonder even if christian mccaffrey gets back at some point carolina has to ask themselves we maybe have to take a different approach carolina wants to for years when, when Christian McCaffrey's available, they want to feed him 20 to 25 touches. Maybe he just can't be that anymore, right? Like, so, like, I do wonder next year, when next year rolls around, do they take a different approach? I understand they're paying him a lot of money, so they don't want to, they probably don't want that approach. But do you want him just to spend the year on again, off again, IR the whole year? Or do you want him to be an impact player, but maybe just not at the volume that he was earlier in his career he could still be a very impact player without touching the ball 20 to 25 times you know maybe you you make a real investment and if it's not Shriba Hubbard maybe it's somebody else right you make a real investment in getting another person there that you start to utilize Christian McCaffrey differently you don't pound them into the line of scrimmage just to take punishment on second and one or on first and you know whatever first and ten you use him on you, you pick and choose your spot. I'm not saying he's a bit player. He still plays 60% of the time probably, but maybe you just limit in terms of what situations you put him in, how you utilize him just to minimize a little bit the, the wear and tear in terms of the physicality that just is the running back position in general, right? He could get hurt off of seven or eight rushing attempts a game, but the more you ask him, you, you, you know he can touch the ball twelve times a game and be at risk of injury, but if you put him at if you put him in at twenty five times, you know you're just you're 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 opening it up a lot more opportunities for him to potentially get injured. It's just it's just the nature of the position. So you do wonder if there's a a little bit of a philosophy change with him. If at some point they're like, listen, or they just say, listen, we're going to ride it out when he's healthy. We're going to ride him and we're going to see how long we can get out of him. And then at some point, you know, we're going to get to a point where he can't be it anymore I, I don't know it can go either way I would want him as healthy as possible and use him less and and him be healthy than just say when he's available we're gonna go pedal to the metal and and, and maximize him for the time we have him and if he gets hurt he gets hurt again I, that wouldn't be my philosophy I, I don't know how Carolina but I, but it puts fantasy owners of him in a really tricky situation I think Saquon as well same thing right and Saquon who knows if his second second contract is even with the Giants that's something 
you know, we're a year away from really getting into whether or not he, he's a member of the Giants after one more year, you know, but but I do think, you know, he's in, he's in another situation that every year we wait, we wait, we wait. And every year, whether it's the Giants' fault, whether it's Saquon's, whether it's injuries, whether it's the offensive line, whether it's a quarterback play, you can make a lot of excuses. But he hasn't been that high-level fantasy player for a while now. And he's been hurt himself a lot, too. So it just shows you how tricky that position is. So, Matt, any final parting thoughts here before we wrap it up? No, a belated happy Thanksgiving to everybody that was listening. Uh, sorry I couldn't spend that time with you before the holidays. So I hope everybody enjoyed a fantastic holiday break. And I hope the upcoming holiday season, uh, as it's already beginning for many out there, I know, um, hopefully the rest of the holidays will treat everybody well. And I hope everybody has a healthy and safe holiday season. Absolutely. So, guys, make sure you're enjoying the football this week. It's going to be some great college football out there. Uh, if you're a fan of what Matt and I and Jeff are doing here at Saturday, Sunday, please get over to the website. SS football is the easiest and fastest way to get to the website. Check out the premium content tab for $9.99. You can get access to all our premium notebooks. It is the best way to support the show. It helps us continue to do what we do here. Uh, so if you are a new listener, check it out. If you're someone who's been listening for many years, but never got the notebooks, please. Uh, it would greatly help us if you give it a shot. If you bought it in the past, we hope that you consider purchasing it again. So, on behalf of Matt, on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.